0: Good morning. Good, morning. Good morning. Let us bow our heads for prayer, please. Yeah, <coughs> Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, exalting your holy name above all else in wonder and amazement that we actually have a God who loves us and forgives us no matter how short we fall of our promises to you and your expectations of us then showers us with a grace beyond our comprehension please continue to forgive us and shed your grace upon each of us we also praise and thank you for the love you envelop each of us with a love so deep profound and everlasting that you sent your only son Jesus to die on the cross for our salvation. As we move into the season following our celebration of his resurrection, we humbly beseech you to continue to love us, forgive us our transgressions, and shed your grace upon us in an abundance that keeps us ever mindful of your awesome presence in our lives, So we may continue to live in the way your son Jesus taught us. And may each of our lives bear witness to the lessons He taught us in the Beatitudes. We ask this in His holy name. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Mr Phil? Uh,
1: Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to be with you as always. It's good to see you. It's actually good to be here. I wasn't sure if I was going to be here or not. I was pan- a little panicked at the end of the week. Um, while you were having this lovely 80 degree weather, I was in Michigan. Yeah, and um, I was at the, the Michigan Christian Convention in Lansing, and uh, they work you hard up there. Must be all those native Calvinists up there, they think they have to keep up with them. Uh, yeah, I, I was speaking at the convention, I, I had to, over the course of two days I had to teach three two-hour sessions. So I don't know who that was harder on, me or them. Um, Yeah, and we had to actually shorten the last session a little bit yesterday um, because they were supposed to get an inch of ice uh, and I had to get back to Detroit to try to get out of town so I could get back here to be here. So I I did, but it was sleeting on the way to the airport, um, but my ride got me there and I got here um, about 11.30 last night. Thank you. So if I'm looking weary, if I'm looking weary, I, I, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm exhausted. <laughs> um, yeah, so, and my voice is a little raspy because um, I don't usually teach that much. I mean, I know you think, gosh, the guy never shuts up. but. Um, it's uh, it was rough. So so I'm glad I'm here. I, I was worried that I was going to have to call somebody up, you know, late last night and say like, can you pitch hit for me or something? I hate doing that to anybody. So um, anyway, so if you're wondering if I enjoyed the the wonderful 80 degree weather you're having, uh, no, actually I I was not enjoying that. Um, but we are on the Beatitudes. Uh, if you weren't here last week you may not know, we're uh, on a uh, nearly a seven week series. Uh, two things are s- surprising about that, one, it's so short, and two, that I actually announced that the first week, which is like never happens, usually I just tell you, well, we're going to do this for a while and then it stretches out to like 42 weeks or something. <laughs> and so, um, this is going to be seven weeks and this is week two. And um, just a brief, uh, brief reminder, review of last week, just in case you weren't here. Um, we're using Matthew's Beatitudes, uh, Matthew chapter five. If you want to find that while we're getting going here, it's the opening. It's the opening verses of what we know as the Sermon on the Mount, the largest single block <laughs> of teaching uh, that we have uh, in the Gospels. And it's these statements that begin with, you know, blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, we talked about last week. And we tried to get our heads around, like, what is Jesus saying when he announces that certain people are blessed? And um, we tried to make the distinction between some translations, uh, more modern translations, have used happy. And we we tried to uh, argue that that's that's probably a a misleading, uh, largely misleading Uh, translation in our day, just because happiness uh, typically has to do with how I feel about how something's going at the time. Um, And really, this is not what Jesus is saying, like when we get to the one today. um, Happy are those who mourn. Um, And you're thinking, so Jesus is saying, happy are those who are really, really sad? but that, that's not really what Jesus is doing. Really, he's not talking about how to be happy. Um, Jesus is announcing the kingdom uh, throughout the Gospels. And in here, he's trying to give us... And this kingdom, as we've said so many times, you're probably tired of me saying it. Uh, this kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. It's not a kingdom like we've ever seen. Uh, it's the kingdom where the first or last, the last or first... Right? It's a kingdom where if you want to be great, uh, you you serve. It's a weird kind of kingdom. And so Jesus has to teach about it. And I, and I believe that what Jesus is doing here is he's trying to give us eyes to see who are the ones who are blessed, who are the blessed ones in this kingdom. So he's not, first of all, telling us to go do this, go be poor in spirit. It's not... It's not Uh, These are not imperatives. Jesus is not commanding us. He's he's doing something a little more subtle. He's he's trying to describe for us a new reality. Um, And hopefully, I mean, he wants us to be able to see that reality. And of course, he wants us to enter into it. (laughs) But that's, that's not his first project right here. His project is to help us see that a new world is breaking into ours. And the ones who are blessed in this world that's coming, that's replacing the world that's passing away, but's not yet passed away, uh, the ones who are blessed in this in this kingdom, uh, it, it's a little different than the blessed ones in the kingdoms of this world. Um, who who we know? I mean, you don't you don't need a primer on who are the blessed in the kingdoms of this world. We all know who who they are, right? Um, they're the beautiful people, the influential people, the, the wealthy people, the well-educated people. Um, yeah, the powerful people. Those are the people who are blessed. That's Those are the people who everyone looks up to, wants to be like, aspires to be like because they are the movers and shakers. And, and those are the people um, that we commend and who are held up. And, and so Jesus is doing something very upside down here and so he began uh, with this first one talking about the poor in spirit this notion of what's it mean to know that you're, you're empty you're vulnerable you're weak that you you don't that you are needy most of us don't Like to be needy. I I hate being needy. There's almost nothing in American culture that uh, would have formed me in my life to think that there's anything blessed about being needy. It's an embarrassment to be needy, isn't it? That's the way we tend to think of it. Um, If I have to ask for help, I almost always have to apologize before, right? Like, I, I'm sorry to have to ask you this, um, but could you help me? I, I need help. Uh, it's humiliating. Um, because we're, one of the, the deep virtues of American culture is self-reliance. We, we have this really long tradition uh, in American thought and writing about self-sufficiency and self-reliance. And so, <laughs> At some level, we all know that we're not self reliant, but we still have this charade that we are. And so when the cracks show in that sort of mirage, it's unsettling. Uh, I don't like to admit that I'm needy. Um, But Jesus says, you know, if you're going to receive this kingdom, and the kingdom's a gift, if you're going to receive this kingdom, you have to have sort of open hands. You have to know that you're needy. Um, that we're, we're beggars before God. You won't be able to receive this kingdom because you won't think you need it. Right? You won't think you need it. Because uh, you're, you're happy to throw your, your lot in with the kingdoms of this world. Uh, but, but if you long for a different kingdom, it's because you long for something else. A, maybe a, a place where you can acknowledge that without God, you're nothing. Um, and again, we know that, and we can say that, and we've had that drilled into our heads, and I can say that uh, without thinking. But it's one thing to sort of say it as you know, something that I know to be true. It's another thing to live in such a way that I'm willing to reveal that. It's one thing to say that I know I'm nothing before God, and yet my daily life is ordered in such a way that it looks like I actually need no one in my life really but me because I've got everything covered. And so being poor in spirit is, is being willing to acknowledge that you're, you're needy, um, that you're a beggar, um, that you're not self-sufficient, and that you're not embarrassed to come with open hands. The Beatitudes are not sort of random, most people don't think. In fact, one of the great... Um, uh, and so it's not surprising, this is the first one, that somehow this kingdom will be completely invisible to you as long as you're self-sufficient and you've got things under control. Uh, you just won't see it, and you, and you certainly won't want it, you don't need it. Um, the church, for a long time, one of the images of the Beatitudes has been as a as a ladder with different rungs on it, and um, and so in, in a way that they're connected, and so we see that maybe particularly explicitly today, where um, blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted, which is the second Beatitude, which is intimately connected to the first. Um, most of us are not any more vulnerable or needy than when we're mourning. Um, we're we're exposed in those moments, um, and and we are poor in spirit. We we're not self-sufficient. We're our world feels like it's falling down around us. Some of the most intense moments of poverty of spirit comes when we're mourning. And the word that, um, the, word that the New Testament's using here for mourning is is really a quite intense word. It's not, it's not a kind of um, minimal mourning. It's not the kind of mourning that you do when, you know, Yet again, uh, the falls have let you down, right? It becomes clear to you that it's gonna be just like last year, right? And all your hopes and dreams for them are just smashed. It's it's not that kind of mourning, okay? I mean that's a that's a that's a deep loss, and deeper for some of you than others. Um, But no, this. But what. This word this is this is a kind of intense, um, intimate, uh, heartbreaking sorrow. And the question is like, what kinds of things is Jesus thinking about when thinking about mourning, and why would they be blessed? and in what sense are they comforted. That's what we want to try to talk about briefly. I think there are several things that we might be mourning. I mean, the obvious ones, I mean, are our losses, things that are lost. Um, Again, it's easy when you've got your act together to think think about your gains. and to think about how things are going well. Uh, But when there are deep losses in our lives, um, crushing losses, and and most often these are relational because when we're honest, the things that we cared deepest about um, in our best moments are our relationships. And so when those are destroyed in some way. Right? When, when there are losses. Um, and clearly the most obvious is in death. right? The loss of someone dear to us we've all experienced. I mean, it's, it's so disorienting. Right? No, no one <laughs> no one who has lost someone near to them, who's in deep grief and mourning, thinks they have their act together, right? And anyone who would presume that they should is just completely out of touch, right? I mean, we're confused. We're, I mean, we we, we could just list about 30 or 40 things that anyone might be and be feeling. It's a, whole, it's a whole cocktail of things that we feel in that moment. And so completely overwhelmed that we, we feel empty, we feel overwhelmed and we feel small. We feel like we've been diminished because this huge part of our life is gone. And part of who we were, rightly, was inseparable from that person. And so it feels like a part of us has died, and we're not wrong to think that. God has made us as social creatures. I mean we don't know who we are apart from each other. So when people dear to us are gone, we're crushed. We are crushed. And so we mourn and we grieve, as well, we should. right I mean that is a a right and good um, response. I mean, to do anything other would presume that somehow that person in my life really wasn't that big a deal. I mean that's, that's impossible, it's unthinkable. And so we have this. Um, it's part of a testimony to our deep love for that person that their absence is an occasion for grief and mourning. One uh, theologian who wrote uh, just a tiny little book, um, it's a beautiful book, painful book, but a beautiful book called Lament for a Son. Uh, that he wrote when his 25-year-old son had a uh, mountain um, expedition accident and died suddenly. And he's trying to sort through all of that. Um, And one of the beautiful things he says in, in lamenting to God for his son and crying out to God in the midst of his own deep grief one of the things he came to realize that This lament, this crying, this grief, this mourning. He says every every lament is a love song. right? Every lament is a love song. I mean, the reason that we're lamenting, the reason we're grieving, we're crying, is because of the deep love that we feel and the deep loss that we feel. And so that's that's one of the things uh, that we're mourning, and it's it's one of the times when we are most vulnerable. We are the most impoverished in spirit, um, where it feels like all of our resources we just we just feel spent. Right? We're we're just weary. It, it's ex, it's exhausting to grieve and to mourn. We we are hardly feel self sufficient. Uh, in those moments. And so one of the things we mourn, we mourn our own losses. Uh, our own, the, the people that we've lost in one way or another. And we also, we also mourn other people's losses. Right? Unless, unless my heart is completely cold and stony, um, if, if I care about you and you are in grief and mourning, I can't be untouched by that. I can't be because I, I in some way feel something of your pain. I don't feel the same pain you feel, but I'm mourning I'm grieving with you. I feel your loss. I know this has been devastating for you. And because I care about you, that loss for you is a loss for me because I, I have a sense of what it's doing to you. This is part of the beautiful way that we're interwoven with each other. Our lives are entangled with each other. It's, it's not easy. Um, and again, it's... One of the beautiful things that you all do is precisely this, is that you, you do weep with those who weep. And, and that's an important thing to do. Uh, there's nothing worse than grieving alone. I mean, the loss is already isolating. Uh, and so, to be alone in your grief is really hard. It's not always easy to be with people either. But um, just to know that people are there, that people understand, and this, and, and people remember. Um, we mentioned this a long time ago when we were talking about death. Um, but our our culture. Because it's a culture of speed, and a culture of productivity, and a culture uh, that always honors uh, doing things, getting things done, and actually being happy, right? I know somebody studied this, I haven't studied it, but it occurred to me when I was thinking about this for this week. uh, I don't know when culturally, when we started taking pictures, that we told people to smile Right. We don't want your picture if you're not smiling. That's interesting. If you look at old photographs, people are never smiling. Right? They're never smiling. Um, it's kind of arresting at first. You think, well, they're they're a sourpuss. Um, but they didn't have somebody behind the camera saying, "Everybody say cheese. Everyone smile." We, we, we want the happy people. Right? If we're gonna capture a moment, we don't really care what you're feeling in the moment, paste a smile on your face, okay? Paste a smile on your face. Nothing more oppressive than asking, either literally or metaphorically, asking someone to paste a smile on your face when you're grieving. Like, can't you just be happy? I mean, that, that was a week ago. Aren't you over that yet? Oh my gosh. Right. And we used to talk, you know, most cultures, except ours anymore, um, it, was just, it was just assumed, everyone just assumed that you were grieving for a year. Right. There were, Actually, there were all kinds of sort of cultural signals that you, you were grieving for a year. And now you get a week, if you're lucky. Right? And, and we all go back to our lives. And it's so easy to forget that that person's instilled deep grief and mourning. So... Not only do we mourn our own losses, but we, we weep with those who weep. We grieve with those who grieve. Mourn with those who mourn. But I don't think Jesus is only talking about that, as profound and important that is. I think Jesus is also talking about the deep, intimate, intense, heartbreaking sorrow that at least some people have when they reflect on their own sin, when they reflect on their own waywardness, when they reflect on their own rebellion against God this deep sorrow that comes when you you realize that if if Jesus really had to die if if God come to earth in the form of Jesus had to die for my sins then I must surely be uh, not who I think I am because most days I think I'm a pretty good guy. Right? Um, and the trouble is, I mean, you probably think I'm a pretty good guy too. Um, <laughs> but we're all wrong. Eight out of ten. <clears> That's No, not eight out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah really matter what you think because Jesus wouldn't have had to die for me if I was a pretty good guy if I just had a few problems around the edges. And so it's you begin to see the the connection between poverty of spirit I mean if I'm going to receive this new kingdom, it's a kingdom of grace and mercy and forgiveness and reconciliation, I mean, why would I need any of that? If I've pretty much got things together and I'm a pretty good guy. I don't need to have my hands open to receive that kingdom. I don't need that. I mean, we wouldn't say that, again, because we know, I mean, I've been in Sunday school all my life. Um, I've been taught that I need grace, but it's one thing, again, to sort of assent to that in your head. Of course, I need God's grace. It's another thing to actually mourn my own waywardness that makes that grace necessary. Think about people in Scripture who do this. Um, when we read. I mean, we spent some time in Lent reading some of the penitential psalms, um, which are crying out to God, right, weeping before God about uh, the psalmist's sin. You know, you have this this woman who comes. <coughs> Jesus and wipes, you know, washes his feet, might even say anoints his feet with her own tears and wipes them with her hair because she is so contrite about her own life in the presence of Jesus. We think about, you know, Peter who in one moment is so bold and impassioned and a defender of Jesus that he about kills a guy trying to defend Jesus, right? Just missed, probably hoping to cleave the guy's skull in two, ends up cutting his ear off. Probably was not as good a soldier as he was a fisherman, so he probably should have left the sword play to other people. But not long after that, right, what's he doing? He's, he's denying that he even knows Jesus. It's like, I, I don't have any idea who you're talking about. And he hears that cock crow the third time, and he weeps, right? He weeps, he sees himself. For who he really is. And he is reduced to tears. Do I have, do I have a sense? I mean, there are people in the world. Um, Jesus calls it those who mourn. Who have this deep and really, at one level, open um, sense of who they are without illusion. They, they they are kind of transparent. And, and, and in the same way that um, we're often uncomfortable around those who mourn because they remind us of all kinds of things that for most of our everyday lives we try to put out of mind. People who are transparent in that way about our sin are also um, a little uncomfortable to be around because they remind me about things about me that I also try not to think about most of the time. Like when I when I'm around someone who's deeply aware of their sinfulness and is willing to talk about it. You know, my temptation is to say, oh, you're not really that bad. Right? You're not really that bad. Don't be so hard on yourself. Right? Don't be so hard on yourself. Um, Which is, again, if I'm honest, if I'm painfully honest, is only half an attempt to... Make them feel better. What it's really designed to do is to make me feel better. Because if I were to say, you know what? You are pretty wretched. (laughs) We just think, I mean, we laugh because we can't imagine saying that. Right? We cannot imagine saying that. Um, it's It's why we... It's why in contemporary American culture we have a hard time singing uh, some of the old hymns, right? Um, Where at times the author of the hymn will say, you know, what a worm am I? You're not a worm. Stand up, right? I mean, if you start self esteem, buck up. It's true. God, God loves us. And, and God sees us uh, for who we are. And if there is one level at which God wants to see us for who we could be in all our glory. Which is so much more than a word. Absolutely true. But I think what Jesus is saying here. Um, about the kingdom. It's those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn their own sinfulness. It's only those people who can receive the grace to become who God's made you to be. There's that little story that Jesus tells About the two people who are praying, right? We should read that. Um, It's a familiar story. Uh, It's in Luke 18. You know it, but just to remind ourselves (laughs) Jesus says, He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, right? He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. So, there's the pretty good people. And there's the the really, they really are wretched people. (laughs) Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. There's that upside down kingdom again. It's everywhere. Right? Those who trusted in themselves. You know, other places Jesus says very explicitly you know, it's, it's only, yeah, we've gotten too close to home now. People are leaving. I think actually bad. they're going downstairs to help with the... I'm not that bad. You're not that bad, yeah. yeah. Linda's leaving a protest. She's like, I'm no worm, I'm leaving. Um, we've got the brunch or food downstairs. At least I'm hoping that's what's going on. That's the story I'm telling myself, anyway. <laughs> and Jesus talks about, with no small bit of irony, right, he says, you know, the, it's, it's, only, it's only the sick who need a physician. Right? It's only the sick who need a physician. And he's saying that to the people who think they're well. Right? who are pretty sure they don't need a physician. And so if you don't think you're sick, then you won't need Jesus' cure. You just won't. And it's a pretty drastic cure because it's a pretty drastic sickness. I don't have the flu. What I have is terminal. Okay? Um, and so I'm a lot, and I may not have the symptoms every day, and I might look just fine to everybody else, and everybody else thinks he looks really healthy. But I'm not. I'm not. Apart from the grace of God, I'm, I'm doomed. I'm, I'm nothing. <laughs> right? So we mourn our own sin, our own brokenness. And I and I think we also mourn the brokenness of the world around us. I mean it, it should it should looking around, I mean <coughs> when's when's the last time I picked up the newspaper and wept? because of just the sheer brokenness of the world. Um, it's been a while. Um, but uh, And again, it's, what we're mourning is this gap between what God desires and what our present reality is. That God wants me to be fully human and I am so far from that. God wants this new world to break in more and more, and yet the old world seems to not be passing away nearly quickly enough. And it's crushing people. And we we mourn. It's partly a mourning that's fueled by this longing for what God actually wants, that we're falling short of. And it causes us grief. Just like we think it causes God grief. I mean, Jesus wept. You knew that because you learned that in Sunday school. It's like, we're going to teach you to memorize scripture. Let's start with the shortest verse in the Bible. Right? Jesus wept. There you go. You got it. So now you've memorized your first passage of scripture. Um, he wept over his good friend. Lazarus, right? When Lazarus died, he weeps over Jerusalem, right? He weeps over Jerusalem. He sort of sees uh, what's going to happen to Jerusalem, that they're going to mistakenly think that violence will work against the Roman Empire, and they're going to bring the Roman Empire's mighty power to come crushing down on it And that will be viewed as a kind of judgment on Jerusalem. But he weeps over Jerusalem. What comfort does God give? Here I think we can be brief. God gives us what we most want, which is own presence. Um, God doesn't have us, God doesn't have any greater gift to give us uh, than God's own presence. And that's what God has promised. Uh, that's what will bring comfort. That's honestly the only thing that will bring comfort. Um, if we're mourning our losses, um, there's comfort in knowing that God is bringing a new kingdom, that God is uh, constructing a new heaven and a new earth uh, where every tear will be wiped away. Right, There will be no more tears. Um, God is bringing uh, a world where God's presence will be felt and will be comforting. And God promises the comforter, Right, the Spirit, who, the Holy Spirit, who's one of the Holy Spirit's name, is the Comforter. But to receive all of those gifts, to receive the gifts of God's presence, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, we have to be poor in spirit. We have to, we have to be willing to mourn and grieve and weep. And I'm back to that, that question. Um, am, I, am I really weeping with those who weep? Am I weak? When's the last time I wept because of my own sin? Um, when's the last time I, I wept uh, in thinking about how far I am from who God wants me to be? When does that really force me to weep? Because until then, and I'm, I'm probably not really in a position to receive the grace that God wants to give me that will make it possible for me to be who God wants me to be. Because I don't need just a minor adjustment. I need something more, more profound than that. Let's pray together. stillness of this moment, O oh God, we pray that you, by your Spirit, would convict us of our own sin and waywardness. We know we can't just do that on our own, in our own will. We're too prideful. We have to humble ourselves and be willing for your Spirit to show us who we really are. May we have the courage to pray that you would show us who we really are. And may the tears we weep when we see what we see uh, drive us into your loving embrace, to your hands of grace and mercy, and may we feel ourselves comforted there it's only by your grace that we stand. We pray with the one who, when he walked among us, was not afraid to weep. Jesus Christ.
0: Amen.